Gua sobro. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. And hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the third sub podcast, episode 116 of the show, which is, as always, presented by Macy Sports. And we're back with another big Vancouver Whitecaps related episode. Um, a bit, of, a bit of good, a bit of bad. Unfortunately, kind of much like last show, but a lot is going on in the club. Uh, some stuff that is important, certainly, to, 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 to talk about and to, to address. But uh, before we dive into all that, as usual, I'm your co-host, Alexander Gangeruzic, joined, as always, by Sam Rowan. Before we dive into it, Sam, how's it going this week? Going very well. Uh, another big Whitecaps match, albeit one that had a little bit less, uh, you know, of a definitive result, that, that finality to it, that, you know, clinical edge that we'd seen over the last little while it felt a bit more like white caps of of times gone by but nonetheless you know doing enough at least to to keep themselves in a positive playoff position and certainly with the more recent result of of portland beating rsl that definitely helps out the caps a bit so a win is not required in order to get into the playoffs there's a bunch of scenarios that can can play out there but we got some themes to dive into about the match itself. Uh, I'm curious. We, Alex and I haven't really chatted since the match, so where we sort of, uh, you know, agree and disagree about things, that'll be interesting. Then also, you know, we we talked about the uh, the most recent club news. You know, on the on the former women's team front, we talked about it on the last show prior to updates from the league from the team. Um, hearing from Axel Schuster a little more in depth, so we will touch on that. And then there's some Canadian soccer news as well. A big commitment kind of out of left field that not a lot of people were expecting. And uh, Canadian Championship has happened as well, uh, much to the, uh, you know, to the ire of both TFC and Pacific fans alike in certain respects. So we're going to dive into a little bit of all that, uh, try to keep things moving relatively quickly here on the show because, you know, there's more Whitecaps matches in short order, but uh, excited to dive into it all. Yeah, so ready to go. Yeah, and I mean, we'll, we won't waste uh, any more time. Let's just we'll dive into the the big news of the show, and that's obviously we we led with it last uh, last show. The 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 you know the the scandal surrounding the club in terms of more abuse allegations against the former you know employees of the women's program. Like we said last show, shocking allegations. It's really sickening stuff, and it's unfortunate that more came about, but. Uh, I guess a bit of a silver lining since we, we, we did that, that show some big bombshells dropped. I mean, first of all, uh, the white caps, they were supposed to do a statement. If you listen to our show, we were waiting for that statement while the show, uh, the we absolutely the classic Friday, 5 PM like, news you, drop. You, you Vancouver, Vancouver sports teams are famous for this. It's not just the white caps. It's uh, you know, it's a well-known fact that all big news gets dropped at 5 PM on a Friday. Like I don't think you could write it worse uh, than 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 that in terms of they left the you know shout out to to JJ Adams who stuck himself yeah. out all heroic, day heroic waiting heroic for a statement 
it was just it was a whole, it was a rough scenario let's just say but uh the good news out of all this mls um mls steps in says okay enough is enough we're going to investigate all of those involved which was what we called for frankly um, more than i expected from the league to be to be perfectly honest yeah which was i think michael mccall from aftn did mention that the fact that this these more recent allegations happened while the team was in mls versus when the first allegations came before is it seems like that could make sense i don't it's obviously not confirmed but i think that would make a lot of a lot of sense so if i recall that was sort of the part of the reasoning that the mls kind of excused themselves in the first scenario which you know while not entirely palatable at least you can sort of understand to some extent but it gives it gave the mls i think nowhere to hide here right this is something that happened to an mls member club while they were an mls member club there's there's no way of avoiding that no, that's exactly it. It's, you know, you, you as much as you would have liked MLS to step in in the first investigation, the first place, theoretically, it's not their jurisdiction. It should have been better handled by the Whitecaps in Canada soccer. So that's that's a whole different snare. But, you know, with it being a second time, you know, 2012, I think the allegations arise from all obviously good to see MLS take swift action those involved have been placed on administrative leave obviously nothing confirmed from the club they're not going to say who is on leave yet because they don't want to say names and then have an investigation clear them or you know they just basically want to let the investigation go in 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 supposed anonymity but just reading between the lines some of the names we mentioned last week the the leonard dutzies rachel lewis greg anderson greg kerfoot those kind of seem like the 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 perpetrators that were, you know, that that you can kind of imagine are currently on administrative leave while this investigation goes through. And this is huge because the last investigation that MLS, uh, you know, did was last year when RSL's owner uh, was, uh, you know, accused of all sorts of racist comments, verbal abuse, all this sorts of stuff. MLS stepped in, they completed their investigation. He was removed as the owner of the team. And uh, they, they got new, well, they don't have new ownership. I think they're still league owned, but that process started thanks to an investigation. So with the Whitecaps looking at what we've seen, I think that seems like the likely outcome. And I think that that's good news because the Whitecaps are due a clearing a house. So if this investigation leads to them completely clearing house in the on the front office and then also potentially forcing an ownership change, I think it would be just needed because there's there was one of these incidents is one too many two is just far too much and not only to have these incidents but the lack of response uh, i think that mls stepping in is huge and i i think just even looking how the club handled this most recent one waiting till five on a friday to to make a statement then putting out axel schuster's your kind of bullet shield which axel schuster has done everything right since he's come into the the club he's been shuttled around into different roles he was originally hired as a sporting director then he had to fill in mark panis's role it's great schuster's done everything right calling the, those involved talking to media solving every you know doing his best to try and solve things he's, he's doing what he can it's just why i i get why those who are involved in the scenario can't like they're on administrative leave they're involved in an active investigation but could could one of the owners who isn't suspended or, or someone else or just at the very least put out a unified club statement not using axel schuster's name 
it was it was just a whole the whole statement was disappointing for from the white caps but overall good news with mls stepping in hopefully their their investigation can come to can can uh, conclude with some good findings and then lastly good news out of jamaica the coach in question herbert boosby jr was suspended by jamaica while they investigate so looks like this latest uh, whistleblowing at, at the very least can save those for, uh, at Jamaica's national team from anything happening now and hopefully the investigation finds uh finds a way to 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 certainly punish him for for, for what he did yeah that was a, a very good summation of of what's happened and you know I I don't know if I honestly have a whole lot to add other than I mean just to echo what you said about you know the the gavel came down pretty swiftly on the RSL owner so I think that that provides some level of confidence that you know the MLS won't be afraid to act in a in a dissimilar manner if there's you know if what they end up finding out is you know anywhere similar to kind of what we what we suspect it will look like then I, I have to think that you know some of those those parties that have been pay, placed on administrative leave are are going to be gone I mean even you know Dan Leonard Doozy I, I feel like that email alone should be enough to to really remove him from the organization in the future. But we'll have to see how that plays out. In terms of the Whitecaps statement, I mean, I understand the disappointment of not writing out names publicly, but but I also, you know, there's a... There's kind of a legal, you know, responsibility there to, to avoid, you know, bringing it into the public sphere before before the club's ready to do so. So I understand they're they're essentially covering their own ass there, right? And that's not what it's not what the public wants to hear, but that's kind of the the reality of the situation. I do agree though that I think, you know, what is that what is actual Schuster done to have had to make a statement about this? Why Jeff Mallett or, you know, the other owners who who refuse to take a public stance on anything related to the club weren't the ones to make a statement or, or at least as you said, put it under a unified front on behalf of the organization. That certainly would have been good. But I think, you know, the big bullet point picture for me is that the fact that the MLS is proceeding with their own investigation is very positive because anything the white caps seem to conduct is inherently sort of flawed and part of the process that's, created this problem in the first place so to have someone truly independent outside the organization looking in is positive and, and as i mentioned i think that we saw in the rsl scenario they weren't uh you know the mls wasn't wasn't just acting on the interests of the owner they were really trying to you know protect protect the shield of the league above all else and i think that's that's encouraging and hopefully they'll they'll act similarly if that's what's necessary in this case yeah, no, it's certainly, it's just, it was, it was long overdue. I think it's ultimately the the conclusion you can, you can make for, from all this. And again, it, it's, on one hand, it, it's good that MLS is stepping in. This is needed. Hopefully it can bring change, but at the same time, the white cap should have done so much more in the first place leading up to this. The fact that some of these people survived the first scandal unscathed really is just you know looking looking at that it just makes you wonder what was going well, on and there. the fact uh, that you're potentially going to need the league to tell you that you need to remove these people from your organization you weren't capable of figuring that out for yourself i mean it's one thing to the owner you know is is unlikely to remove himself from his position right that's not going to happen unless the league steps in but these are 
for better or worse, employees of the organization. So the fact that the club hasn't been able to figure that out or been unwilling to do anything about it until now is is definitely a substantial indictment of the organization overall. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's just, it's again, it's this inaction. It's the the trying to sweep things under the rug. It's the secrecy. It's just things that you you, you don't need in general, but especially not on these kinds of issues so i think it, it's hopefully those who who participated in that what what was all of this come catches up and the white caps can can kind of get a fresh start because they, they 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 really need a fresh start i need to clear house and they've, they've made such good changes on the playing side of things but like many have mentioned online it's hard to to follow and support a club where there's so much rot at the at the course of, you know in, in terms of these sorts of sorts of things. So I think it's, it's going to be, yeah, it's, it's going to be big that, that, that something like this is finally long overdue uh, come around. And I guess now all we can kind of do is wait and see what will happen in terms of the investigation. But uh, based on what we saw from the RSL investigation last year, I have confidence that things should go relatively. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a waiting game at this point, but you know, the reason why, we want to continue to bring it up on the top of the show is that, you know, this can't be something that's forgotten and pushed to the back burner. Certainly not until, you know, things are at least concluded in terms of this investigation, but even beyond that, it's something that needs to remain top of mind and not get, you know, just cast aside. So with that, I think, unless you've got anything else to add, we are going to move on to the one, one draw between the Vancouver Whitecaps and LAFC. But I think it's important to, kick off the show with that you know we don't want to we don't want to put it at the back end and diminish the significance of what's going on no it's it's a big thing for the club right now and it's as is you know as fun as it is to follow a playoff push and the, the white caps are playing well it's important to 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 address this and hopefully the club can uh, can come out on the end or other end better for it but like you mentioned big game this week for the white caps they took on lafc and kind of just a game that really determined a lot of teams' playoffs hopes. LAFC, should they have won the game, would have leapfrogged the Whitecaps, putting them in a very tough position, position sorry, heading into decision day. But should the Whitecaps win or draw, they got, they'd put themselves in a great position. Well, they, they drew. Now the math is set up quite easily for them. They draw or win against Seattle. They're in the playoffs. They, they can no longer get a home game thanks to Portland's very decisive win over a rail salt lake last night but a, a win or a draw they're in a loss even gets them in depending on lafc and la galaxy and uh rsl rsl plays um if i'm not mistaken they play skc lafc plays colorado so the top two teams and the la galaxy plays minnesota so they're you know basically it's all but confirmed, but knock on wood, knowing the Whitecaps, they will find a way to miss out should the things will, will find a way to go wrong. So it's all set up for them. They just need to draw or win and they're in. But this LAFC game, I mean, we'll, we'll start it out with the usual question with all the draws there's been this year. I'm not, is it a point gained or two points lost? Because I feel like that's the, the kind of it sets the tone for for how you view this this game when you when you decide how you feel about that. Well, I think that in some ways that question can only be answered when the dust settles on decision day, right? Because we don't know how valuable that that point is until the playoff picture is 100% clear. But I'm, I'm, for now, I'm going to say it's a point game because, 
you know, LAFC, while wildly unpredictable and inconsistent, was red hot heading into this one. You're on the road. Um, I think all things considered, it's a point gauge. You can you can nitpick things in the in the Whitecaps approach in this one, opportunities missed, uh, ways they could have played differently, which we'll all get into. But uh, big picture, macro take, I think it was a point gained, and it it ultimately it puts them in a relatively decent position. Um, you know, one where you have to at least like your chances to get into the playoffs. So, so that's good. No, I think, again, away draws in MLS, never bad. The Whitecaps have been doing their job lately, which is, it's the formula in MLS, the formula in CONCACAF, win your games at home, pick up points on the road. What have the Whitecaps done the last 23, no, 24 games, I think it is? They've won their games at home. They've drawn them on the road. There's a reason why they currently sit in a playoff spot. And I mean, I guess theoretically, I put it like that. What happens if they win at home on Sunday? They make the playoffs. The formula adds out. And heck, they've done enough recently that a draw at home gets them in the playoffs. So it's really, I think it's it's absolutely a point gain. They did their job. That LAFC game is a trap game. Yes, LAFC game is, is sitting ninth. You know, they're not in a great run of form. They're absolutely obliterating every team they play in terms of expected goals. They were welcoming back Carlos Vela. The Whitecaps just struggled to win in LA in general. It's 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 a huge point on, on many fronts, and I don't think the Whitecaps should diminish that, especially considering if you look back at the game, it was absolutely a point gained. Yes, would you have liked them to hold on to a 1-0 lead and pick up three points, confirm their playoff spot, yada, yada, yada? Of course, but at the same time, LAFC threw everything in the kitchen sink to only concede one goal from basically three expected goals. Max Crepo saving the day, the defense for the most part, you know, doing their job to, to keep the tide at, at somewhat at bay. You, you, you take the point and you move on. And I think the, the white caps will, will do that. And they, they've, they've obviously turned their attention to the next game, which is this, this must win against or must, must get a point out of it in Seattle. Yeah, and for the Whitecaps at this point, it's just a it's a matter of flip the page and move on, right? As long as you're still alive, you just got to focus on the next match. And Vanny seems to have his guys coached up very well in terms of doing that. But you know, we've talked about the the scenario surrounding the match, but let's dive into the match itself. I, I mean, maybe this is a this is a controversial sports radio take, but you know, I've written in our notes, Vanny's worst managerial performance? Question mark. Right and. And I said to you before the show, I think that if that's the case, that in many ways is a, a massive compliment to Vanny Sartini. You know, he hasn't had a lot of a lot of blemishes so far in his managerial career. But to me, after the 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 early goal, the the super uncharacteristic early Whitecaps goal to take the lead, take control of the match on the road, they sat back. They they played you know bunker and hope in a lot of respects and. It felt a little bit more like I had that sense, that feeling, like the Mark DeSantos era, where at times they're just they're holding on, trying to grind out a point, and they're only 30, 40 minutes into the match. And I, I thought that you know that I found that a little bit challenging, especially when it came to some of the subs in the second half and the fact that those took a lot of time and then really didn't have the impact maybe you might have been hoping for. So. Uh, I will start off with that, Alex. I mean, what did you think of the way Vanny set things up? What did you think of the way his team responded after scoring the opening goal? Yeah, I mean, I think 
it, it was a bit of a, a, a you know it was obviously tough i mean the, the goal itself was great against the you know the counter was just so efficient they, they they had this this ruthlessness about their play there's a lot of like with the goal but then the white cap it's tough to say it's kind of it's kind of a, a chicken or egg question did the white cap sit back or did lafc put the pressure on them yeah. and which is i think fair. it's because i think yes the white cap sat back and it wasn't pretty at times but also if there's a team that does that to you i think lafc is one of yeah. them i think the fact that the white caps have been in a similar position against even better teams like skc against seattle but teams, teams that were, don't play the same style, they're dominant in a different way. Yes, well, it, it's just it, it's indicative that the Whitecaps have been in other games against supposedly better opposition, yet they didn't sit back as much. And I think it's not in their DNA. And I think ultimately, it's you have to give credit where credit is due to LAFC. Yes, is it is it you know does it, does it almost put a tear in your eye remembering the Mark DeSantos days 2019 watching the Whitecaps get absolutely shellacked at the edge of their box against LAFC in a 7 set, game set league records for you know shots on target and shots overall shots allowed you know. absolutely yeah. it, it brings back those memories but at the same time there are just some good teams it's an away game in MLS I just think you have to give credit to LAFC for that but you know at the same time the Whitecaps looking back it's one of those tough things where i think ultimately yes they got blown out in xg and that's never pretty but also i think it was just lafc it just had sheer volume because you think back to their chances the, the the chances that they created that were xg other than the few corner chances like mamadou falls xg was probably like what 0.98 on that that, that one he tapped in from on the line and a few other ones but uh, I think of some of the big chances that, like the Chicho Arango one at the end that everyone was talking about, I don't think that was a, as big of a chance as people mentioned. He got a ball half volleyed at him from about 10 feet away and he had to react, get his head on it, turn his neck and put it in the goal. That is a, yes, it'll probably be a 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.7 XG chance. I suppose the, the way for me to confirm is to actually check. But uh, like I just think the Whitecaps actually, despite what it felt like, did a relatively good job of limiting LAFC to the, to LAFC chances. Like if you if you look back at LAFC, they have this way of playing, which is they work the channels and they try to get you know high XG shots for for I guess Arango now, Rodriguez, Vela, Rossi when he was there, and they didn't really get those chances during the the game. Yes, they had a lot of chances, but the Whitecaps will gladly take. Raheem Edwards taking a, a shot in the box, or they'll, they'll gladly take Mamadou Fall taking getting a header in the box versus Carlos Vela all alone on his left foot. And I think, despite what it felt like, the Whitecaps actually did keep LAFC out of, you know, the quote unquote, not the dangerous areas, but LAFC's dangerous areas. So it's hard for it to say, yes, it, it felt like they got overwhelmed, but it wasn't as overwhelming as it maybe seemed when looking back. That's interesting because so obviously I don't I'm not watching the matches live now because of the time difference but you know usually I go and I, I look at the stats and some of the stuff before I watch the match back and so I saw 25 shots on target allowed and I thought kind of thought oh boy like they got they got shelled they got caved in and then I watched the match back and then I look at the stats of the three center backs and you know 
Alex, we spend enough time in in the you know in the media booth or on Twitter or whatnot side by side to know this. You know, in some of these matches before when the Whitecaps really got overwhelmed, you'd have defenders like Andy Rose with something ridiculous like. 12, 14 clearances, eight block shots. You know, they were they were putting in heavy workloads. And you look at Eric Godoy, Jake Nerwinski, Florian Jungwirth in this one, they didn't have to have a ton of blocks. They didn't have a high number of clearances for the way that match seemed outwardly from a statistical standpoint. And I think that kind of goes to your point that, yeah, there was XG allowed, but it just, when you actually watch the match, I don't know if that fu- it fully reflected, and I thought at least defensively, like I thought the back three did quite a good job. Now we'll we'll move on. We'll talk about the midfield. I think there's something that kind of went wrong there, in a way more serious maybe than we'd seen in previous matches, or, or it kind of expanded upon a theme and a problem that had occurred in some of these matches beforehand. But I thought just you know if we're evaluating the the performances of the center backs, they actually did quite well, and I think that kind of reflects what you were talking about where the I guess there's a reason that LAFC has been a deceiving team in terms of XG this year and I feel like that match kind of reflected it where the the numbers kind of you know flattered to impress them a little bit yeah I mean I got I got the XG numbers up here three to one for LA but if uh you know if just doing some simple math LA's XG per shot was 0.11 Whereas the Whitecaps, yes, they only had one shot, but their XG was 0.2 per shot. So if anything, the Whitecaps were actually, dare I say, generating the better chances per shot. It's just, again, I think looking back, LAFC really mastered the volume of, of, of their shots. I think I'm the, the Arango chance I talked, everyone was saying, oh, he should have scored. It was a 51 xg shot if anything it felt more like a 0.2 watching like anecdotally obviously uh, you know it's not a perfect it, it would have required a very high degree of skill in order to finish and then yes it, it, uh, mamadou falls goal 86 percent yes. 0.86 okay yeah he finished that but other than that i'm looking at the plot i don't think there's any chance that's more than 25 or or, or, or 35 percent or aka 0.3 xg other than that orango one at the end that shows again that the that the Whitecaps managed to re- really limit LAFC. Other than that, that that those those two chances and even that one chance felt a, a bit, uh, you know, again it felt a bit exaggerated. So I think ultimately what this says about Vanny Sertini to return to the original point is that even when he's when he's having a bit of an off day in terms of not not necessarily. I would say, I guess, an off day in terms of how the game went for his team and how they controlled the game. Because the, the one thing is, yes, they defended well. They do they sh- they would want to control the game more than they did. I think it's ultimately, again, like we've said the last few times, it's nice to know that this is the low bar. That if the Whitecaps have an off day, they'll still defend well. They'll be able. They're still good for a goal or two on the counter. And it, that that's going to be again. It's going to be huge should they make the playoffs because everyone it just seems like everyone has off days in the playoffs. So you need to be able to weather it. And I think this is a, a perfect example of should they be in the playoffs? They, th- this would be a great game for them to go one, one, go to extra time, nab it on penalties in a game where they feel like they, they maybe shouldn't have, uh, have won. And I think looking back at the, this, there's, there's, there's a lot to, to like with how efficient they were for how supposedly, you know, bad this performance was. Well, moving a little bit further up the pitch, I think this is where where I found a little bit more of an issue with the match. It, it just seemed like 
Leo Wusu and Russell Tiber really really struggled to to be effective at least. I think that you know, especially like Rusty, the the intent to go forward and the intent to progress the ball was there, but it didn't get pulled off all that successfully. And I just felt like this match was in a lot of ways calling out for Janio Bacal a lot earlier and they didn't get that injection of of physicality of of defensive responsibility into the midfield until it was kind of too late in the match for that to make a real impact. But Alex, I'm interested for your takes on you know what to make of this midfield group because while they've been they've been getting the results, I do feel like there's some been some structural issues there that that haven't been fully addressed. I think this LAFC game exposed a bit what can happen off the ball with this midfield. I think on the ball, when they get on the ball, Leonard Owusu and Russell Tiber doing great things. Heck, even in this game where the Whitecaps didn't get much possession, I can think of a few instances where they both played nice balls forward. They had nice interplay. The problem is defensively, there's already a lot asked of them. And in some games, they can handle it. I think there, there's no doubt about it. I think if you look at Randy Sartini's games, I think 80-90% Owusu, Tiber, or whoever the pe- pairing has been has been up for it. But I think it really shows that Vanny might want to consider especially against teams like LAFC who are just so good in the midfield that's what they do they've always been they just put three bodies in the midfield and they 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 will destroy most teams in MLS in midfield I think you you, you saw the, the 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 fallbacks of the this this Whitecaps midfield defensively I felt really is where they struggled I think again it's not it's 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 also as much simple math two guys on the white caps one of them both of them not necessarily defensive uh what you deem to be defensive going up against three good attacking midfielders even though yes lafc traded away mark anthony k they they didn't have edward atuesta still i think they had sifuentes they had latif blessing um they, they had heck raheem edwards was looking like a whole new player playing in midfield it was just it was tough in terms of the triangles LA was creating the just how they, they overwhelmed really the white caps in, in defensive midfield and I think it just opens up questions for Vanny Sartini because I, I don't I think LAFC is certainly a rare breed it's hard to think of any other teams that will offer a similar threat in midfield other than maybe Seattle and which to be fair is another game where the midfield struggled a bit defensively so maybe maybe what this shows that when the Whitecaps are playing those games, they could consider, you know, playing a, a bit more of a defensive, maybe adding a trio, maybe adding Janu Bikel to a Russell Tybert and a Leonard Wusu or just swapping one of them in for a Janu Bikel to add a bit of defensive stability. But I think we certainly saw a potential weakness that, that the Whitecaps might want to address as soon as the Seattle game where they're going to get another stiff test in midfield and they won't want to lose that battle in that game or else it could be costly. Yeah, it just felt like with, you know, with Leo, Leo's definitely, I think, always had the, the quality to get involved defensively, but sometimes the the tenacious nature hasn't always been there. Whereas with Russell Tybert, I mean, the, the tenacious nature has always been there, but maybe the the physicality and the quality to actually, you know, be impactful defensively has been limited. And it just, against really good teams in the midfield, like LAFC, like Seattle, it just those two are limited enough where it can cause some serious problems. And I, I do feel like Yanio Bukel can potentially alleviate a lot of that. The question is, how does he fit into the squad? Who do you take out? He's maybe not the greatest guy for a two-man midfield. So that's definitely something Vanny has to put his creative manager hat on and try to figure out. But 
I think that's been that's been kind of creeping into the Whitecaps game, and it hasn't been exposed quite as obviously as it was against LAFC. But uh, I mean, on from that, I guess we we probably buried the lead here. Uh, you know, and, and maybe we talked about the we talked about LAFC's chances not being as high quality as as, as perhaps they were talking about. But one reason for that is you've got Max Cropo in goal and. Uh, High XG chances become low XG chances, at least in in terms of the danger they pose to you when you've got uh, Mad Max back there making kick saves and a beauty at that. I mean, I'll lead off by saying if Max Crepo somehow wasn't the number one guy on your Whitecaps MVP ballot, I don't know. Really hard to think differently now. Like, well, I mean, obviously it's too late, but I don't know. First of all, this shows why he was the, he should be the MVP, but also well, if, why if, he is the Whitecaps MVP yeah, this year. There, there, there's no doubt about it. I just think he, he showed that because this is a game where, again, like we mentioned, the Whitecaps defended relatively well, yada, yada, yada. That means nothing if you have a stinker in goal. You allow a few chances you shouldn't have. Maybe that, that Christian Arango chance in the first half where he unleashes a rocket from just outside the box and Crepo tips it over the bar or one of the countless, I think he made 10 saves in the night, one of the countless 10 saves that he made. It just, you know, it's, it's, it's a game changer in, in games like this. And it's huge for the Whitecaps should they make the playoffs because I think Crepeau very well might be playing the best form of any Whitecaps goalkeeper in history, in their history. I think it's as, as for as good as guys like David Osted were back in the day. Imagine if Max Crepo is in goal for some of those playoff games back in, 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 in 2015 because, A, the, the standard of goalkeeping has gone up across MLS in the last five years, and, B, despite that, Crepo is... Honestly, if you're looking around the league right now, this season in particular, you could make a show, like we said last show, that he's a top three goalkeeper in, in MLS right now. And uh, when has a, a Whitecaps goalkeeper been that highly rated amongst his 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 peers? And I think he ju- he just showed that to, to to in this game. It was just the kind of heroic performance that you need from that. Well, not not you need from your goalkeeper, but you want from your goalkeeper. And the funny thing is, it was just kind of swept behind just because we're so used to seeing that. It really shows how good he is when something like that happened. Like he made ten saves, and he kept one of the best. Uh, he kept an LAFC team. 2xg below what they they you know like he saved his team 2xg and no one was talking about him that's how you know a goalkeeper is good when he has a performance like that and and no one really bats an eye but that's max crepo for this white caps team he's he's just he comes up big in big moments and uh, that, that that's huge and it's why he's he's been such a big part of their team so what you're really telling me here is that you don't rate joe cannon's eight clean sheet performance in 2012 for the white caps that's what you're telling me you know what? I always like Joe Cannon, but I'm sorry. I, I, I say Max. it. I say it largely in jest. But when you when you're talking about all time Whitecaps goalkeeping, that's just that's a guy that does creep to mind. Especially you know some of those teams weren't uh, weren't the best, and he performed admirably back there. But no, your your point very much stands. And I, I don't know. I think with the the growing visibility and respect that the Canadian men's national team is getting. Uh, you know, if Max has some more standout showings for Canada, I wouldn't be shocked if you know we've we've been talking about this for a long time. You know, which someone pays who's going to be the white who's going to be the Whitecaps keeper moving forward? 
you know, which keeper gets sold on to Europe sooner rather than later. And I'm sure some people kind of rolled their eyes, but I think with with Kerpo prominently placed in the national team and putting up showings like this in MLS, it, it's going to be a serious conversation this offseason. Someone pay the man. There's a lot of clubs in Europe who could use a goalkeeper like this, but they just don't know it yet. If only he was two or three inches taller, he, he'd probably be gone already. Yeah, and even then, take a punt on him. It's money ball. He'll, he's he's going to cost cheaper because he's shorter. It's what I call a market inefficiency. It's a word I haven't <laughs> used on the podcast in a, in a while. So yeah. that's enough said about that. We. The funny thing is, yes, Max Crepo deserves praise, but we also give him a lot of praise on, on this show. So yeah, maybe well, well, enough said, Max. Keep you know, just keep on, keep it up. It's going to be interesting to see now what happens with Canada because, like you mentioned, well, with Milan Borian comes back, I think this this might be as tight as the the battle for the number one spot has ever been for 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 Canada. Because is is Borian still unvaccinated or, or what's what's the deal there? I, I think he just caught covid i don't i don't okay. know i don't know i mean they're, they're just there have been a couple pro, well one prominent person in particular recently in major sports that uh his vaccination status has been murky at best i mean it's a conversation for a different podcast but well, well all i'll say is, is i find it harder to comment on guys like borian's vaccination status because he lives in serbia which isn't yeah. exactly who knows what the heck is going on who knows whereas canada and the u.s if you're not vaccinated in one of those countries right now <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's 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 a whole different story. So, I mean, hopefully, maybe when he was in Canada in September or in the summer, maybe he 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 picked up some some shots. Anyway, I have no, I'm not going to comment on something I don't know about. But yeah, topic way, for a different show, really. But. Top exactly, topic for a different show. But in terms of the battle for the number ones right now, I, I can't think of it ever being tighter, right? Because before it was always hypothetical. Okay, Max Crepo. He could do a job for Canada. At some point, it will happen, but not yet. I think it's like if Max Crepo gets a shot, he'll yeah. do good. Well, he got his shot and he did good. <laughs> and now you're wondering, well, shoot, you have two goalkeepers in one window this octo in three games against three very good teams in the U.S., El Salvador and Honduras. Milan Borjan only conceded two goals and kept one clean sheet in three games against very high level octo opposition in Jamaica, Mexico, and Panama. Maxime Crepo only conceded two goals and kept the one clean sheet. Nice. It's they're literally there's nothing separating them except the fact I think Borian faced slightly more XG in his his three games than Crepo did in his three game split. If I'm John Herdman, I have no idea what I do for these Costa Rica Mexico games. Do you give Crepo the Costa Rica start and then give Borian the Mexico start? Do you just run with one guy? Do you let them? pull out the, the the metaphorical boxing gloves and juke it out in training anyways that's a whole other I'll, i'm sure i'll write about that over the next few weeks and we'll certainly well not a few weeks the games next week feels wild to think but we'll we'll certainly talk about it as well uh, in the in the future but uh enough about that let's shift over to the wingbacks um i mean javane brown you know after a bit of a, a regression the last few games i think he took the fact that for some reason jamaica's brain trust remains quite confusing and decided not to call him in even though a he should be starting or at least he should be given a, a shot to start on the jamaican national team let alone not be left out of the squad but again that's a whole other story he obviously took that personally played a very you know solid game against lafc and then bruno gaspar he continues to 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 to, to confuse he has he's been having good moments he's been having less good moments 
ultimately he's fitting very well into this system. He's looking like he's a very good fit in this team. We're not going to open up the should Gaspar stay, should we go? We, 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 we hacked that out enough last show, and we'll save it for the offseason. But, uh, again, con- the, the wingback situation for the Whitecaps continues to be intriguing because, again, we're forgetting about guys like Christian Gutierrez, who for some reason is a center back these days, and uh, Marcus Godinho. And there's just a lot of moving parts. So Jake Nowinski is also a, you know, a center back these days. There's just so much going on at the wingback position for the Whitecaps. Yeah, well, I thought it was a, a standout showing for Javain and have to give him a sh- huge shout-out for the tackle in midfield that leads to the Whitecaps goal. You know, he's just he's always involved, and, you know, he's had a couple matches this year where he's been involved in a bad way, but for the most part, Javain's never seen an opportunity to try to create something he didn't like, right? And I, I think that's very admirable about his game, and that's what makes me sort of so conflicted and confused about Bruno Gaspar, because... It's not necessarily a bad thing, but in certain matches, he just doesn't pop up a lot. I, I, looking through the stats in this one, no attempted dribbles, no attempted and or completed crosses. Like, that's just weird for a fullback, for a wingback, to not get involved in either of those departments. And obviously, he had the he had that one chance and, you know, maybe could have done more to fight through the contact. I'm not, I'm not going to hold that against him. I think it's a... You know, kind of one of those 50-50s that goes goes awry and, and no one's really at fault for it. But Bruno's just so interesting. There's it feels like when he's not, you know, in a key moment, he's kind of invisible out there. And I, I think that's both a compliment to him and a bit of a slight. But I don't know. I'm I'm having a hard time figuring out how to rate Gaspar as he plays more and more in this system. He's a conundrum. That's the certain that's the thing. I think Ultimately, he's he's shown to have good smarts. I think that's one thing I've picked up from him. I think, like you know, for the most part in games, positionally it hasn't been a problem. I think of that. Well, it's goal not against... not like Nerwinski at the fullback position where you notice him doggedly running back after being thirty yards out of position. Like that never happens with Gaspar. That's it. He's. I just think of that like offensively and defensively. I think of that goal against San Jose where he just had the awareness to be in the right position to score that goal. I think of the awareness in the LAFC game when he got that really good chance to be in that position in the first place. I think defensively, too, he ends up in the right areas. If anything, he just needs to... I think ultimately it's a fitness thing to his, to be fair to the guy he's had, like, I think it's two or three very on and off seasons where he was dealing with injuries, going from the European calendar, the MLS calendar. You could tell he, he just makes these mistakes that are more fitness related, that are more... I'm just not, you know, I'm struggling for fitness or I'm, I just need to get my my reps in. And I think that's where you said, like, the lack of dribbles and whatnot from him. Those are those are things he used to do very well in Portugal, and I don't or think he's lost that they part talked of his game. about when, when he was brought in here that he was a phenomenal crosser of the ball, passer into the box, and just to not even see an attempt Other than cross. that Portland game, say. Yeah. Yeah. But, but for the most part, we've seen very little of that. And it's just like, even if it, I would understand it's one thing if they're, you're trying them and they're not coming off because you're getting back up to fitness and you haven't played in a while, but to just not see any involvement of that variety is, it's just strange. It is. But at the same time, I think of a few instances where Christian Dahomey in the LFC game made crosses that probably should have been made by Bruno Gaspar. Cause I mean, yeah. Dahomey was playing as a forward 
but naturally reflectively he dropped back and i think there was two or three crosses he whipped in that were great crosses looking back but thinking maybe those that should have been gaspar whipping that into dahomey so it also i feel like it also could be system related as well it's the white caps a don't whip in that many crosses these days anyways and when they do they're more these short clipped crosses that seem to favor the forwards that's why you always seem to see ryan gold christian dahomey diver caicedo whipping in crosses but not like whipping in it's more chipping in crosses because it's such a short distance so i think that's also as much the system but it's also it's just i think he's just getting used to, to playing again his execution i think the first games back from that injury where he looked awful were, were an indication of that because his decision making was just all out of whack but ultimately he's a very smart player he's shown his class at times it'd be nice to to, to have him back at the right price but again until then I guess he'll just he'll have to keep on uh, putting in a shift for 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 the Whitecaps. But otherwise, kind of last point for for us really here. I mean, other than maybe, I think maybe we'll yeah. I think pretty much last points the the front three of Brian White, Ryan Gold, Christian Dahomey. We're gonna have to find a nickname for them first and foremost. But uh, they 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 continue to look good as a trio. They combine nicely for that tic tac toe opening goal sam what did you make of them playing to, to, together as a front three in this game well i don't feel like i'm going to say anything about white and gold that i haven't already said right i mean you know gold gold's provided that link uh to the forwards you know and brian white again the the patience the vision when he's not scoring goals to help set up chances you know he creates or is the final final passer on the two biggest chances of the night for the Whitecaps and that's just not an element they had in a striker previously and uh, he continues to just impress me in in that category and then I almost feel like it's copy paste from what we talked about in the last show in terms of Dahomey in that second striker more of a free roll as you talked about the ability to you know clip in little balls and and be creative going to be all things for, for all people when he needs to. I, I really, really like him in that role, and I'm so happy that heading into the playoffs, Vanny's getting more out of one of their best players because I think that's it. I mean, right now, I feel like in a lot of way, our, you know, Dahomey, Gold, and White, the Whitecaps, three best, you know, outfield players, uh, I, I think probably. And so to have those three guys together combining, creating chances is is massive and that chemistry wasn't there a few matches ago so i think that's important that they're able to sort of start building that going into the playoffs and it's it seems pretty clear that lucas cavallini at least for you know the interim is on the outside looking in and that those are the three guys they're going to go with up front yeah and i think there's because it's not only about production but obviously production is a big part i mean ryan gold he's up to what like three or four goals and five assists or something like that by now. Dahomey became, he hit 10 goals, which, you know, you can use the stat, him him and White both hitting 10 plus goals in MLS season, only the second time in Whitecaps history. The only other time was in their first season when Camilo and Eric Hasley both hit uh, 10 plus goals in, in that year. Since then, the Whitecaps, they've hit, they've had a few goal scores hit 10, but never more than one in a season. So obviously the output is a big part of the the the, the trio, but I just think they, they're the most fluid front three right now, other than maybe if you throw in Diver Caicedo. Unfortunately, when Lucas Cavallini's on the pitch, 
the football just looks clunkier right now. He's just, he doesn't look the same fluid Lucas Cavallini we've seen before. Cause he's had, that's not to say like, like Lucas Cavallini is, he can be a fluid player on his day, but right now with his knee injury, with everything, he just, the, the play seems clunkier when he's on the field and Caicedo, while he's a fluid player, he's not, it's hard for him to, he's just in a tough spot cause it's hard for him to displace white. Because uh, Gold's going nowhere, so you'd have to displace White or Dahomey, and he's not displacing Dahomey right now. And White's just untouchable because he's been playing phenomenally. And, and I think that it's just there's a fluidity there in their play that you saw in that first goal, in, in, or the, their goal against LAFC. When have you seen that sort of counter-attacking play from the Whitecaps? How incisive it was! It was just so. If you look back at the highlight, I think from they won the ball back at half and within five seconds, it was in Dahomey's feet and then it went into the net. It was just the, that fluidity and ruthlessness you don't get with some of the other options up front. When they tried to play Brian White and Lucas Cavallini together, you didn't get that fluidity. Heck, even a guy like Dabra Caicedo, he's a very fluid player. You, even he can't, can't deliver that sort of ruthlessness. So it's just, it's, it's not only on paper, statistically the front three to go with right now, but just the way they link up together and how, how, how they move, it, it makes them the, the first choice at the moment. I almost forgot about this, but I do want to bring this up just briefly. Uh, what do you think, since we were talking about Ryan Gold, at least to some extent anyways, what do you think about Ollie Platt's tweet about the Scotland squad? And some of the, I was looking through some of the quote tweets that resulted, uh, you know, just Scottish fans continuing to completely disrespect the MLS, which I mean, comes with the territory, but, uh, I mean, do you, do you think that Gauls should have been included in the squad? And, uh, you know, I, I saw some, I saw comments in relation to this tweet, everything from, you know, Motherwell and Hibbs would demolish the Vancouver Whitecaps, which I, I don't think is true. And then also people suggesting that because Gauls has only scored three goals in 13 matches for the Whitecaps, that somehow his move to MLS has been a colossal failure, which, I, you know, we can... We don't need to litigate on this show because I think we know that if anything, Gold has at least substantially outperformed expectations so far. So uh, yeah, just curious for your thoughts on, on on that Twitter firestorm that resulted. Oh boy! I mean, first of all, forget Ryan Gold for a second. Johnny Russell has like thirteen goals in his last <laughs> eleven MLS. Johnny games. Russell is on fire. Thirteen goals in eleven games. Forget the, you know. You, MLS is a good, you know, that's a good level for MLS. He does that in Scotland. He he gets the number ten shirt. And he's wearing the he's he's leading them out at whoever whatever their stadium is is called. I forget. It's unfortunately escaping me. Like the fact that they're turning their nose up at Johnny Russell for scoring thirteen freaking goals in the like that, that that's actually obscene. Like yes, if you're gonna talk about oh Ryan Gold only scored three goals, he's a number ten. He's he's averaging like five key passes a game. Like okay, let's you know chill chill at the chill it there but johnny russell is 13 goals in 11 games again i i'm gonna have to keep repeating because it's just so obscene and they're turning up his nose i think ollie platt's absolutely right i think so i don't know what I, like <laughs> i guess i get on one hand where, where the scotland manager's coming from he wants his familiarity a lot of these guys have well and it, it it is a stacked position where, where gold's trying to get in and i think there's there's full merit there but to well, yes and no, but I, if you watch Scotland at the Euros and in their qualifiers, they struggle to consistently create chances. And here you do, here you have a guy last year was playing in the sixth best league in Europe, technically the fifth best league in Europe, putting up like three to four key passes a game and a 
you know, a, a metric ton of assists. And then he's gone to MLS, which, okay, maybe it isn't as good as a Portuguese league, but he's, he's single-handedly turned around a struggling club and is averaging, again, similar assist numbers in, in chance creation for a team that was just at the Euros defended well, but just were woeful offensively. Would you not at least want to give Galden, to a further extent, I'll keep shouting about Russell, a try offensively? I get where the Scotland manager again is coming from because his group, he's kind of stuck with it. They've gotten some fantastic results. You want you sometimes in national team football, it's as much about chemistry as it is the talent you have on the field and you want to keep that. But it just, again, it just makes no sense. Like you mentioned on a pure talent standpoint, I get some Scottish fans are going to be defensive about it. It's just the, the level beyond Celtic and Rangers can be very questionable. And I think you just see that there's a reason why Celtic is, has struggled to, to, to get back into the Champions League in recent years. It's the same with I mean, Rangers. this is this is not, you know, Celtic versus Barcelona of eight years ago. Yeah, things things is, have changed substantially since then. And like the fact that, I, again, I, I like a team a lot like St. Johnston. You know, they got David Weatherspoon. They did great things. The fact that they were the, the one of the better teams in Scotland last year and they just they couldn't even make it out of they couldn't make it to conference league uh, the, the, this year, despite having a, a good uh, one opportunity to make Europa and then another opportunity to make conference league. It's just unfortunately after Celtic and Rangers and even Celtic Rangers are dropping compared to teams around them. The level of Scottish football just isn't the same as it was five 10 years ago. I mean, I think one example we'll use is a guy like Marcus Godinho, who was a regular starter for Hearts three years ago. He went from Hearts straight to the, the German third division, and it didn't look like he, he really, you know, didn't look like he was dropping or going up a level in terms of just, just his, his regular play. And I think it tells you everything you, you need to know. Unfortunately, whether or not Scottish fans like to admit it, the level just... I just don't get how they can ignore Ryan. Like it'd be one thing if Ryan Gold was just playing in MLS and doing nothing, but he's literally him and Russell are dominating the league and they can't even get a sniff. It's just, it's just yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, but uh, enough, like enough of that. I mean, well, I'll just, I'll add very, very briefly, not to make this a, a Scottish national team podcast, but you know, I know, I know some Scots who are invested in the national team um, from my time over there. And they would probably tell me that Steve Clark is, not creative enough to get guys like Gold and Russell involved. He's just he he's got his group. He's going to stick with it, and that's part of why Scotland's never under this management going to take the step forward. They they you know have threatened to or maybe think that they should have the opportunity to. I think they're just a little bit limited by their mentality at this point and failing to include guys like Gold and, and Russell as part of that challenge. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's obviously one thing that. It's just, I just don't get why you can't, if you're 22nd and 23rd man or guys on your roster are, are Ryan Gold and Johnny Russell, like that's already a start. Like, and, and Gold and Russell both have a lot of utility. Like they can play multiple positions. They're not, you know, you can, you can chuck them out on the wing. You could, you could chuck Ryan Gold at striker if you wanted to, and he'd find a way to make an impact. So it's just, I mean, it's a discussion we've had for, in terms of Canada too. It's like, we're not, I'm not sitting here saying, Ryan Gold needs the number 10 shirt for Scotland and should be starting next week against whoever they, they play. But I just don't get why you can't have him on your like 30 minutes of Ryan Gold off the bench isn't exactly just the white caps. This isn't the worst thing in the, in the world to have, but enough of me getting irrationally angry about it, the Scottish national team. I don't know, I don't know how we went so far down this road, but we did. 
but I think that, that wraps up the Whitecaps talk. Um, so I guess on that note, let's shift over to a bit of Voyager's Cup Chatter. Hey everyone, Alex here from the third sub. We're just taking a quick break from the show here just to shout out our friends over at Macy's Sports. Make sure to check them out. Located in North Vancouver by the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. They have everything you'll need in terms of soccer, field hockey, rugby, you name it. They probably have it. Make sure to check them out today as if you mention that you are a third sub listener, you will get a nice discount. So with the holiday season just around the corner, no better time to head over to North Vancouver and check out Macy Sports. But without a further any further ado, let's get right back into our show. And yeah, I mean the the, the Voyagers Cup, it's it rolled on this week. Um, as as one user joked on on Twitter, I want to say I think it was would have been Rudy Schuler. The Voyagers Cup is just a tournament where a bunch of teams play games, and it all leads the, the, all the roads lead to a Montreal and Toronto final. And every year, despite how close it seems, as close as an upset seems, this has been Montreal and Toronto's tournament. Other than that one year that Vancouver won, and this is going to be no exception this year. Montreal and Toronto make it to the final last week. CF Montreal had to work for it, to be fair. Forge gave him one heck of a run of money, outplayed them for, for periods of the game, lost on penalty shootouts because of the goalkeepers taking shots. And then in this game, Toronto goes up 2-0 against Pacific. Pacific doesn't quit, makes it 2-1, has a late flurry of chances, can equalize. Toronto squeezes into the final 2-1. I mean, in terms of on the field, lots to love with these, these two games, two good showcases of, of CPL versus MLS opposition. It further confirms the theory that in the CPL right now, there is a big three of Pacific, Forge, and Cavalry who can compete with teams in MLS who can. I mean, heck, shout out to Forge for making the, the CONCACAF Champions League, first of all. It's completely burying the lead. But the fact that they did that in just their third year of existence, the CPL teams have been have been showing out uh, uh, lately, and I think this the, these two games showed it. So on the field, lots to like with with these two ties, and uh, hopefully the final can deliver because as and unfor- as boring as it might be from a West Coast perspective to see another Montreal Toronto final, these two teams always entertain when they play, and uh, I think it should be a, a good bow on what has been a, a very entertaining edition of the the Voyagers Cup. Yeah, I'd like to be say that I'm going to be salty and not even watch that one, but it's always interesting when when two Canadian MLS teams match up against one another and certainly, you know, the rivalry between Montreal and Toronto runs deep and I think TFC fans are absolutely desperate for something to brag about this season. So, that'll make things interesting, but I mean, the, I think the big standout is that the the margins between average MLS teams and very good CPL teams is is not substantial, right? I mean, I think that's, if anything, that's been pretty clearly proven by the way Pacific performed against the Whitecaps, the way Pacific performed against TFC on the road, and, and the way Forge was able to take CF Montreal to penalties. I, I don't think it gets any more clear cut than that. I mean, we could very easily here, you know, if the, let's say that penalties go a different way, uh, in that Forge Montreal match, and the coin flip goes a different way in the TFC oh, cool, Pacific cool. match, we could be dealing with an all CPL final. That's it's not the way it turned out, but I think it's fair to say that 
we could easily be looking at all CPL final next year. We could at the very least be looking at a at a mixed MLS CPL final next year. And I think it's realistic, you know, within the next five years, one of these might turn out to be an all CPL matchup. And I think that's just terrific for the growth of the league, for the visibility of the league. I've been really excited with the way this has turned out because it could have gone the other way. It could have been the top it could have been the top three teams just sort of, you know, the established vets duking it out. And that, that wouldn't have made it as exciting and that wouldn't have provided that same level of legitimacy. So I'm I'm thrilled for that. A little disappointed in the final outcome. Obviously pulling for Pacific and pulling for Forge really as well. But uh, still looking forward to the final. And yeah, better luck next year, Whitecaps. And then they're going to have their work cut out because I don't know exactly how that works, but they're going to... They're gonna to have to play a, a good series of uh, of matches oh, in order to the, work at, the rungs, right? At this rate, they're gonna they're gonna to have to start with a team again. They're playing TSS Rovers or something like that, like a League One, or having to play like Von Azuri, whoever ends up winning the. Uh, I don't think Von Azuri's in the final. I just I always like that name, but at this rate, the Whitecaps are gonna start in the qualifiers of the qualifiers, and really, but hey, they have Ryan Gold now, so maybe they'll, they'll actually be able to. To make a bit of a, a a run, but uh, I mean, yeah, it was, it's a lot to like with this cup, with terms of some of the matchups we saw that Montreal Halifax game, the Whitecaps Pacific game. There's already been a lot of memorable games, and I think it's tough because I think the single leg adds drama. But uh, I think what well, well, we have to talk about it just because it was rocking Canadian soccer Twitter yesterday. Personally, I don't care, which is why you don't see me commenting on that. Although I admit it's very entertaining to see some of the, 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 the brain bashing, for a lack of better words, between the East Coast versus the West Coast. It's just I always find it really just really entertaining to, to watch because on one hand, no one's wrong. Like, you know, yes, uh, yes, the West Coast has historically been been very, you know, we, you know, at least in recent years, we've certainly been shafted a lot in terms of decisions and, and there's a right to for the west to have an inferiority complex but at the same time people t- from toronto can also feel uh un- understandably angry by that that complex because a lot of the stuff that goes on isn't their fault but uh i mean first of all the, we have to be honest canada soccer did drop the ball by a not, just by not televising at the very least the coin flip so like you know so people don't have the, the, that stick to beat themselves with anyways and Otherwise, just, yeah, is, is put in a rule where the lower team hosts. Yes, some people will say, oh, the lower team, yada, yada. No, the lower team should always host a one-legged tie. It's the cup. If a big team can't go to a lower team stadium and win, it, they don't deserve to, to go on. And there's a reason why Germany, you know, again, in the Pokal, they do that. It'll be interesting to see what they do now next year, because historically the Voyager's Cup has always been a two-legged tournament. But the problem is the more games come in, it's the the more teams come in. Sorry, it's going to be harder to fit in a two-legged series across the whole year from if you're going to do multiple rounds. But uh, I think, yeah, we've mentioned this before, so I won't say much uh, about it. But Canada has the potential for for a really good thing with the Voyager's Cup should they format it properly. So it'll be uh, hopefully they can do the right things to make sure this can really be a marquee cup competition that fans can uh, can get excited for in the future. Yeah, well, I'm going to say two quick things about this this championship that I think would be would be nice ground rules to you know increase the visibility of the competition and and promote the growth of the game. As you said, uh, you know, per, 
give that home matchup to the lower seeded, the the smaller team. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then second of all, there should be, you know, there should be caps or restrictions on ticket prices for these matches, so you can get fans piled into stadiums. Because even heck, if we want to be charitable and we want to say that okay, TFC hosts this matchup, if you provide that ticket at a at a regulated low price then what you're doing is you're providing the opportunity for people who can't maybe go to the TFC matches to go to a Canadian championship match I think if you're you're trying to promote the growth of the game in this country you're trying to you know really reflect Canadian soccer as a whole those are two things you need to do right away and I don't I don't see the hesitation I don't I don't see why you would uh you know, back down from either of those claims. They seem like pretty easy ones to defend in in light of attempting to grow the game. And I don't even think even the, the you know, the biggest of TFC hardos can, can claim that having the game at Starlight uh, in front of six or 7,000 uh, Vancouver Islanders wouldn't have helped grow the game on Vancouver Island more than it probably did anything for greater Toronto soccer. But yeah, that's, I mean, this has been, this has been well discussed on Twitter, but I think seriously, like the, the ticket caps and uh, giving the, giving the, the matches to lower seed or the, the smaller team would just, you know, even if, even if that's a temporary arrangement in order to, in air quotes, grow the game, and eventually you you revoke those policies, I, I think, at least in the present, when you have these teams that are relatively young in their existence, that's really important. Yeah, and I, I think, ultimately, it's just, yeah, it's, it's obviously you want to help the lower clubs, but I guess, think, yes, I, I get the idea behind an open draw, if you're going to do an open draft, televise it too. If you're going to add to things you suggest, because again, as much as TFC, you know, it's great for, for the, the TFC fans. They got to host well, the game. If you're going to host, you've, you've got, cups, one, you've got one soccer. What else are you using it for? If not um, exclusive Canadian men's national team, Canadian uh, championship content. That's it. If you're going to have a cup semifinal, it'd be nice. Like if just, again, like I get, C- I, combine I, I, it with a preview show. Like, yeah. That'd be a great product. Yeah. No, I just, it, it's especially just looking, yeah, looking back at the, the game yesterday, it's like, yes, I get it. Tickets were way overpriced and it was a Wednesday night and the Raptors and Leafs were playing, but 5,000 in a 30,000 seat stadium when you're playing a team that can fit five to 7,000 in, in their own little stadium and would have done so without hesitation. Anyways, enough about that. I think the, we, the there's a lot the Voyagers Cup can do next year to, to really because I think they, they took a good step this year with their new branding, with their new format. I think if they can continue on that vein, there's a lot to like with the Voyagers Cup in the future. But uh, as we near the end of our show here, one note, we were going to keep the Canadian news to a, a you know a, a minimum now, obviously save it for when Canada actually plays games. But there is some CanMNT news that is a little too big to ignore. And uh, it came right as we were about to start recording the show, put a slight delay on our, our plans here. But uh E.K. Ugbo, a name that by now might be very familiar to, 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 to people listening. A day ago might not have been so familiar, but a 23-year-old striker with Nigerian and English roots. Um, unlike Fakayo Tomori, Canada secures the, 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 the services of this English, Canadian, Nigerian triple trio national, I think that the official 
uh, term is lots to like there. Canada needs forward depth. Yes, on uh, you know lot you know they need they need strikers. Sorry, I don't know where I was going with that last point. They need strikers uh, with the, the injuries they've had. Their depth. We saw it last window when when Kyle Aaron and Lucas Cavalier went down. Things are depth deep. Uh, sorry, geez, the things are not deep up front. But Ike Ugbo, former Chelsea Academy product, currently plays a gank in the top Belgian division. He scored, I think, just over 20 goals in 40 Belgian first league games. He played for Cercle Bruges last year, and then he was playing uh, this year for, for, for gank. Sam, how, how big of this is this for, for, for Canada to get, not only get a commitment like this, which is always big news, but the fact that they're getting a player this quality, this caliber, and you're not sitting there thinking, Oh, he's your new number one striker. This is a depth ad for Canada. And three years ago, he'd be a star. How, how big is this, I guess, A, for for, for the, the team right now, but also B, in the overall context of the program showing how far they've come in the last few years? Well, exactly. I mean, this would have been uh, this would have been the marquee name. This would have been, you know, roll out, roll out the banners. And they are doing that to some extent. But this is, as you said, a depth ad. And what I think is crazy about this even, you know, we, we run relatively deep in Canadian men's national team circles, but this wasn't someone who was necessarily on the radar like a Jebison, right? I think because he wasn't born in Canada and because his, the time he spent in Canada was relatively limited and someone who'd also had experience with both England and Nigeria at the youth national team levels, most just didn't consider it a possibility that he might flip and commit to Canada. I mean, you know, there were articles a month and a half ago suggesting that he made his senior commitments to Nigeria and that the deal was sort of done. And now you're you're able to bring in a quality player in his own right, but someone who's going to provide terrific depth. And I think answer that question we were having, you know, where you've got Tesho Akindeli or or Brim stepping in and, and filling a role when guys are injured or guys are unavailable. Now... You know, I guess some people would still evaluate center back as the the least deep position on the Canadian men's national team roster, but I think which I think know, is a myth personally. Yeah, but, but if uh, you have faith in guys like Kamal Miller and Derek Cornelius, which which we do, and even some of the other guys that you know have been in and out of the fold there, then striker is at the very least the other position where there were similar depth concerns, and you know you're. Excuse me. You're hoping for guys like Theo De- Theo Bear and and Brim to develop, but you also you know need good players now to uh, to fill in, especially if you're you're looking to make a World Cup push. And uh, this is a great piece to add. Who you know could easily could easily push for a star- spot in the starting lineup too if he's if he comes in in good form. So uh, great problems to have for this Canadian team if if these are the kind of players that are adding at a depth position. You know. Have I have I watched extensive film? Do I know everything there is to know about Ugbo? No, but uh, I'm excited to learn more, and it, it seems like a great addition on the face of it, at least. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, first of all, I, I will do some work to to learn more about Ugbo, and I will have something destroy probably... and progress on the yes, way. Yes, sir. That's why it exists. Uh, so I'll probably have something out before this podcast is out. So if you uh, if you do want more on Ugbo, I guess I'll just plug this non-existent article now that will exist. But uh, yeah, I think just looking, it's it's huge for 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 Canada's depth to to get a player like this. Because I'm just thinking now, Canada's 23 man rosters is quite scary. I think 
you look at some of the issues people talked about heading into this year, the defense, yada, yada, yada. Canada's only allowed more than one goal in a game once in 17 games this year. For those keeping track, yes, a few of those games are against your Bermudas, your Cayman Islands, your Arubas. But there's two games in there against Mexico, two games there in there against the U.S. You played pretty much everyone in the in the Octo except Costa Rica, but you did play them at the Gold Cup, and you did keep a clean sheet against them there too. Canada's defenses. I'm gonna. I'm, that's a hill I'm gonna continue to, to to die on right now. And it's you look at the stats, you look at the XG, you look at the the the, the goals against, you look at shots against Canada. Whether you like to believe it or not, just because you look at names like, for some reason, again, Daniel Henry is a very polarizing name. And people say, oh, we, we're calling up Daniel Henry. Canada's defense sucks. Whether you like to admit it or not, Canada's defense is good. So that was checkmark number one cut, cut off. And yes, uh, maybe on paper, Canada could, could, could Canada use a Fakayo Tomori? There, there is 170 countries who could use a Fakayo Tomori. Unfortunately, side note, he picked the one that seems to not need him continuing to call up Connor Cody over him, which is just, I don't, you know, again, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I wish Fakayo Tomori could have called up. Would have been nice, yes, but I'm just pissed for the guy, frankly, for lack of way to put it personally, because this guy's balling out for AC Milan and you know, I, I put out the, the charts this one. Long, long story short, I just feel bad for a guy that a guy like Connor Cody's continue to get call-ups over, over him. But uh, on paper, yes, Canada's defense could be better. But, hey, they defend as a team. Beautiful thing about the defense is it's a team game. Canada's figured that part out. Yay. They've got all this this depth all over the place. They've got the best player in CONCACAF. What's the thing that's actually been missing? depth up front and goals well you got jonathan david in form right now kyle laren is back you've, you've seemed to get the goals part figured out you got the depth now and ugbo there's a lot to like with this overall roster and i think right now assuming everyone's healthy canada has about as scary of a 23-man roster as they, as they ever could have i mean obviously these some of these players won't be in the squad announcement which comes out tomorrow for us recording by the time you might listen that could very well already be out, but just a quick run through through the squad in gold, Borean, Crepo, Pantemis. Pantemis is the third guy five years ago. You'd be thrilled to have as your backup, a guy regularly playing in MLS. It shows you at center back, you have Scott Kennedy, who is a, a, on a team second in the second Bundesliga. So basically the, the 20th best team in Germany right now, you've got Kamal Miller, you got Derek Cornelius playing in the top Greek flight. You got Daniil Henry playing in the top Korean flight. You got Steven Vittoria playing in the top Portuguese flight. Lost to like their fullback. You got Sam Adekupi playing in the top Turkish flight. Alistair Johnson seems poised to make a move at the way he's playing. He's playing regularly in MLS. You got Alfonso Davies, one of the a World Eleven player. You, 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 you got, you know, basically rolling through, again, a lot of quality. You go into midfield, you got Stefan Ustak, you're playing at a, uh, in the top Portuguese league. Atiba Hutchinson playing for a top Turkish league. Uh, I won't roll through everyone, but just to give you an idea up front, you got the top score in league, uh, the top former top or second top score in Turkey and Kyle Laren. 20 from, from one to 23, this Canada has like no weaknesses. It feels like in, in their squad or not, they do have some weaknesses, but it feels like they're so solid from top to bottom. And there's a lot to like there. And that's ultimately my long winded point that I, that, that I was eventually got around to. And it, it, it just shows how big a commitment that Ugbo can fit in as the 18th or 19th guy in this roster and just only add to that depth that continues to grow. Well, yeah, as a final thought here before we sign off, uh, since you are our resident 
Canadian men's national team expert, and I know it's it's way too soon to make this kind of proclamation, but reasonably, do you think is January twenty seventh, January thirtieth, you know, when we see Ugbo make his his national team debut? Because there's there isn't much chance that he's involved in these two upcoming matchups in November, is there? Yes, he it's, is involved. He is. It's confirmed. Okay. He's in the squad. You're gonna oh, see him even, in Edmonton. I didn't, even, I didn't even see that. So no, they just... buried the lead in their their announcement. They're like Ugbo's in the squad for November. He's filed his one time switch. Everything's sorted out. Paperwork ready. Signed and delivered. So o- over under forty minutes in the the two upcoming matchups. Then, under. what do you think? Under. under. But you think I'm... does he get does he get one substitute appearance then maybe in one of these matches? I think you you play him. Not to cap time because he's already capped tight. He fell to switch, yada, yada. But just to yeah. introduce him to the fans, let him play. 85th minute, uh, get, the, get the applause, get get Ho- some legs. Hopefully they're him. winning 2-0 yeah. against Costa Rica. He makes his debut, and then Mexico they see. I think the one thing that will work against his favor for this first camp is that Herdman really likes familiarity, which is why I think we'll see a guy like Lucas Kevlini get called, which went on paper. It was already a stretch for Lucas Cavallini to be in the squad in the first place. And with Ugbo now in the fold, it's already, it's only going to get harder for Cavallini to fight for, for, for Canadian minutes. But uh, yeah, I think Ugbo, we're, we're certainly going to see him on the, the the pitch this this camp and at least training and getting used to, I mean, hey, it's not not the worst scenario for him to walk into a locker room where you got a world 11 left back, you got the top score in Liga, you got some some pretty good players to play with. And I'm sure that's what factored into his, his decision. And I think... I mean, first of all, it probably shows how big of a negotiating piece Alfonso Davies and company and Jonathan David are. It's like, hey, yes, playing for Nigeria, top country there at the last World Cup. But hey, we're on the verge of a World Cup. Come play with Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies. I know personally if I had to, to make a choice, it would be a very uh, good way to sway me. So hopefully we can see Ugbo this camp. Well, yeah, the only thing I'll add to that is, you know, it, it's one thing to be a contributor to an already established powerhouse. It's very much a different thing to be part of building a a team on the rise and i think for guys that want to go out there and make a reputation for themselves and 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 you know be influential players uh, something like canada if you have the eligibility represents a a terrific opportunity to do that so hopefully ugbo is a big part of it moving forward at the very least it's terrific depth for canada and uh, yeah, I think that's all for me on this podcast, Alex, unless you have any final thoughts. Uh, you can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com. Uh, you can find our podcast at Third Sub Pod on Twitter, The Third Sub on Instagram. Just been a little dead lately on Instagram, especially. So, you know, I might have to revive that, uh, get some posts up there soon. And uh, Alex, over to you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Kongaruzic uh, at BTS Fed City, BTS Fancy.com, on Instagram at HR on the Case, and um, uh, on Substack at destroyingprogress.substack.com. Put out a camp roster prediction before the Ugbo news. So everything in there is still relevant uh, other than the, the, the Ugbo news, which isn't in there. I will do a, a profile on Ugbo, though, for, for those wanting to learn a little more about him. Uh, but uh, yeah, otherwise, you can. Uh, we'll, we'll be back again soon, episode 117. We definitely got some CAN MNT and CAN WNT uh, stuff coming down uh, the, the, the pipeline here. So if that's your thing, you got that. Lot, you know, lots, lots always going on in, in Canadian soccer right now. I, I will be in Edmonton for, for those Canada games. I'm excited for that. Should be good. 
so much to look forward to. And we'll of course have you posted here on the third sub. So on that note, take care everybody and we'll catch you again soon.